0: You're listening to the Discriminology Podcast, the podcast that arms you with the knowledge and the tools to dismantle discrimination. With me, one of your hosts, Malik Sila. Welcome
1: back, everyone. So I hope you enjoyed last week's Podcast on hypersegregation. Welcome to Long Island with our good friend Jasmine. And if you missed it, go back and watch it because it's something you don't want to miss. On today's episode, we actually have a really special guest that has been one of our guests before, which is super exciting. And today we're going to be talking about white privilege and how it could be used for good, and it's not always such a negative term. Um, We're going to be talking about how when someone says they they don't see color, everyone's equal. Really, that's just gaslighting people of color, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to go back into the history of things, and we have a lot planned. So I'm here with my co-hosts. Malik. And Sid. And I'm Sandra, and now I want to introduce our guest, Mr. Kramer. Welcome on the show. Once again, welcome back, Mr. Kramer.
2: Thanks for having me back. It's great to be back.
1: Let's dive right in. So let's start off with the real question. What's white privilege?
2: White
0: privilege to me is is something that has caused a rift between white people and pretty much everyone that that uses that terminology. But what it's really referring to is the absence of certain problems in your life. Now, that kind of leads people to believe that you know, you don't know anything about me. You don't know what I've been through. I've worked hard. It evokes all these emotions. But what it's really saying is, yes, I understand you may have worked hard. You may have had a very hard life. But all the problems that have transpired throughout your experience have never been attributed to the color of your skin. That's all privilege really means. And that ties into what you're referring to before about not seeing color. You know, this this is usually something that's said with good intentions and no malice meant by it. But if someone were to say to me like, oh, I don't see your color, it's it's kind of like, you're not acknowledging the history of this country, you're not acknowledging the background of what's transpired, and you're not acknowledging the things I had to circumvent to get to this point. So if you really are in support of you know ending discrimination and supporting black lives and other oppressed groups, the right terminology to use, would, in my opinion, is, I see your color. I acknowledge your color. I acknowledge the struggle that you've been through, and I support you in that, in making that into a, you know, a, a better experience for you.
3: Yeah. So it's white privilege, and and the important word in that phrase is privilege because we all all of us have. Um, when I say all of us, I mean everyone in this podcast and who's listening and whoever. Everyone we all have our own privileges um, in our own respects, but when we say white privilege, that that privilege is is that we're talking about is the benefit of your skin being that color and like Malik said um white privilege regardless of where you come from um regardless of who you are what your values are how hard or not hard you've worked in your life this your skin being that color you already innately from the time that you are born benefit in this society from your skin being that color and that and those benefits are not the same for people of color and for black people
0: Mr. Kramer, why do you think that the term white privilege has become such a controversial hot topic, in your opinion?
2: I think it's very difficult for people to admit that they are part of a power structure. I think it's very difficult for people to admit that parts of their life or parts of their experience have been easier, have been easier, especially for people you know that work in the middle class or the working class or you know, even even people that live in poverty, they they hear the word privilege and they hear this this connotation that, oh, you know, it's kind of what you were saying before, your life has been easier than mine and my life isn't easy. And they, they really don't want to grasp exactly what the messaging is, you know? it's They, they just hear the term and, and they have knee-jerk reactions to what it means. And it means historically, black people have been treated poorly in this country. It means historically, white people have had an edge in this country. It means historically white people have had access to things that black people have not had access to. That's, that's what it means. And people just really, really don't want to admit that they're part of that power structure or to admit that that power structure exists because you hear all the time in in the United States. Well, if you just work hard, the opportunities are there for you. All you have to do is put your mind to it and you can, work through it doesn't matter what color skin and it's just a- ignoring all of the obstacles like you said all the obstacles that are in place that are still in place so i think that's really hard you know people people want to say well those things happened in you know civil war time slavery is you know 150 years old 160 years old you know jim crow is is already 50 60 years old but <laughs> they don't understand that these things are still are, are so prescient in our society they're, they're 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 very palpable so i i think the term privilege may be you know distasteful i guess for people to hear that they have privilege when they don't really have a lot of their own so they don't really want to listen to the messaging but um but it's real it's it's real
3: I think it's just to kind of respond to what Mr. Kramer said. I think it's interesting, um, because I agree with you, Mr. Kramer, that when it comes to white privilege and the term white privilege, um, I find that a lot of white people, like you said, don't want to, well, one, immediately hear that and take offense as if it's something like, it's an offensive or like an insult. Um, And then two, have have a hard time acknowledging, you know, that innate privilege um, to begin with. But I think it's interesting. We talk about other types of privileges, like, the fact that everyone in this um, podcast right now is able-bodied. All of us are able to mm. walk and, you know, aren't in a wheelchair. And, you know, when we talk about privileges like that, being able to go to school, we're all college educated. Um, we are all able-bodied. We're all, you know, we all come um, from seemingly, you know, quote unquote, you know, good household. We have both parents, we got et cetera, et cetera. Those privileges, um, I feel like people are more palpable. Like those privileges, people have no issue acknowledging. But when it comes race and um privileges associated with race that all of a sudden is not is is distasteful it's like oh oh don't bring up the race thing like well i'm not i'm not privileged because of my skin color but you have no problem acknowledging that you're privileged because you can walk up a flight of stairs or because you know what i'm saying or because you can i don't know drive a car you can walk down the street at night and not be scared of getting attacked whatever the case may be but when it comes to race specifically and talking about white privilege versus people of color, that seems to be an issue. So I just wanted to shed light on that.
0: Furthermore, it's something that's, as you said, it's not specific to white people. I know white people have kind of gotten the the burden of this because the term is white privilege. But as you said, we all have privilege. And I think the core root of that is blind spots. If you have privilege, you're more susceptible to having blind spots. You know, me as a black male, I may have blind spots in terms of what it's like to be a woman or a member of the LGBTQ community or a member of the Latin community, because I don't have those same experiences. So it's counterproductive for me to now be defensive. If I'm corrected, you know, that's, you're actually helping me by correcting me. You're, you're allowing me to see more of a a wider perspective. So I think that's the place that we have to get to as a society to now have, um, productive dialogue on this so I was also curious um Sandra from your perspective have has anyone ever used that terminology with you uh what's been your experience with the term privilege
1: recently um we were on another podcast before we even created this terminology, and I remember that we went into this podcast completely we um just blind to what was gonna be talked about. We really thought it was gonna be a conversation. And one of the questions that was asked to me was, how do you feel about white privilege? And at the time it really took me back and I felt nothing but shame and embarrassment. And I really, from that moment on, thought about it a lot. Like, what does it mean? And why do I feel so embarrassed by it? And then, um, and guilty, honestly. I felt really guilty that I was sitting on a podcast with these other amazing people, and I was asked what I thought about white privilege and also how I was lucky that, again, like, Sydney, like you just said, like, unable to walk down a street at night and maybe feel si- safer, you know, so um I definitely thought a lot about it, and I remember even right after that podcast, I ran to Malik. I was like, I don't know what to say. Like I said, it's so dumb, but really like it affected me. And I think that also what you were just saying on how some people have those blind spots and they don't really realize on how to answer or like what to do. And I think from that point on, it made me even really more motivated to understand because at the end of the day, I'm never going to fully understand, but I could learn and I could make the steps to progress because that really is the goal here. Um, So I'm not, I would never say, Hey, I know exactly what you feel because I don't, but can I learn? Can by the friendships that we've had, you know, we tell stories and things like this and even being an interracial relationship, you learn so much and you just can't believe that the people that you love go through this. So if you take that and you're like, Hey, I really need to learn the history, why this happened, how they feel, and then take the steps to make change. I think it takes the whole white privilege thing. And I get to use it for good to make that change. So that's how I feel on that.
0: And it's, um, it's great to see how the first time you were asked that question, it, it evokes such a discomfort. And now to see a few months later, you're so comfortable and, you know, prepared to speak on it and, and articulate yourself. So
1: that's, it was devastating. It really was a devastating question. And then you take a step back and you really have to evaluate and think, Hey, you know, like my skin color was never an issue, but for so many people that are especially close to me that I love and care about, it is. And you, you just really need to be aware and you need to st- yeah, just stay aware.
0: And even with all that said, right, you still have a, a, sig- a significant amount of people that will, argue the existence of these, these structures. So um, Mr. Kramer actually sent us over some interesting things to review that we wanted to touch on today. In, in regards to representation um, regarding education, public school education in Long Island, um, there's some really sobering numbers here. So um, I was reading through this, um, this article that Mr. Kramer sent over, 61% of Long Island schools do not have a single black teacher non-white teachers only increased from 12% to 17% between the years 1987 to 2012 what's even more sobering were the ratios that followed so for every white student there are seven teachers to support that student for every 48 black students there's one teacher that looks like him or her or however that person identifies so it's staggering because even the even the student body of long island 45 percent of that is non-white so mr kramer can you speak to i mean th- those numbers are blatant but can you speak to i guess how this happened what do we what do we do with these numbers how do we digest these numbers because i was really taken back reading some of these st- statistics
2: well i think that it's uh, it's really endemic of of any business or corporation or structure that hires is that who's on your hiring committee, right? What What are your hiring practices? What do candidates have to go through to get these jobs? And where are you looking for these candidates? Are you actively going out and searching for the best candidates? Are you actively going out and searching for candidates that represent your student body, or are you just sitting back and taking in the, uh, the candidates that are applying to your, to your school or to your to your job or your workforce or your law firm or whatever it is and then you look at the hiring committees and the hiring committees on Long Island have been white they've always been white they were set up to be white Long Island was set up to be a white suburb I mean that's what you guys were talking about in uh, in the redlining right I mean black people were not welcome it was set up as white flight so, when you look at structures like that that have been around forever, and then you you, you look at where the numbers are it's it 's kind of obvious who do you hire? You hire people that look like you, you hire people that talk like you, you hire people that think like you, you hire people that have the same you know educational vision that you do, and that all really translates to you hire people that you would see in the mirror, and that happens everywhere that doesn 't just happen in schools that happens anywhere but there's hiring. So almost every district on Long Island is a white power structured district. There's only a couple that aren't. So when you look at those numbers, I think it's pretty obvious why, why things are the way they are. Um, my wife is, is Mexican, and she was hired through a diversity, uh, train, uh, a diversity hiring program out in Northport. And I remember you know, when, when we came back up here from Texas and she got hired and she went into the building and she came out and she was, she was shocked because she was the only brown person in that building. She integrated that building, that, that entire middle school. She was the only person of color there. And the first thing she said to me was, the janitors are white here. <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, all the janitors are white. I'm like, yeah that's not the way it is in Houston, you know? So e- even jobs that, that, you know, are stereotypically given to minorities are not given to minorities here in Long Island, you know? So it's, 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 it's the numbers are drastic and the numbers are pretty staggering.
3: Um, I just wanted to to kind of attest, uh, anecdotally, kind of attest, attest to this and kind of tie it back to, to white privilege. Um, my mother, shout out to my mama, Candace, um, is the kindergarten teacher and has been for 25 years. Um, and she, um, when, when I was born, we moved up to New Rochelle, where I grew up and where she's been teaching for the past 25 years. Um, and as I mentioned in the previous episode, New Rochelle uh, in the county of Westchester is more diverse, is more diverse, but... Uh, nevertheless, you know, she, my mother is a double, has a double master's in education and engineering, um, extremely smart woman, an amazing teacher. And she, even she, going, getting, going to get hired at the school that she is now retiring from, um, you know, walking into that building and being one of the only people of color walking into that building to, to get a job, you know, the, 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 the again, the tie it back to white privilege, like she knew moving to the this, to this school district, right, she would have to excel paramount to her, her uh, colleagues, right? And that even though she was credentially, and on paper, a lot more qualified um, than a lot of the people that she, that she works with, uh, even going into that interview, you know, there's, there's this kind of notion that, oh, I'm not good enough. And it's simply just because of the color of her skin. Like, you know, on paper, you have no idea what skin color she is, right? But walking into that interview, she's very very aware that this is a factor this is this is a thing where i'm going to interview for this job whereas her counterparts and her colleagues in that same school just don't have literally do not have that same thought process they don't have to have that same thought process they're walking into this school building for an interview and regardless of their background or whatever the case may be they don't have that same kind of um, preconceived notion that you know they may not be good enough. Or they might not get this job for X, Y, and Z. And she's to this day has had to excel and excel and excel over everyone else that she works with, her and the other teachers of color, um, in the school, to prove that she deserves to be there. When on paper, it's 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 clear as day that she deserves to to be in that school. You know what I mean? So what I what I want I just wanted to make that kind of anecdote, kind of clear on its terms of, in terms of privilege. That this is what people. Um, black people and people of color have to, they have, these are the notions and the, and the mindsets and the thought processes that we constantly live with and, and think about on a daily basis that other people literally do not have to think about.
2: So, so and, and that brings up, the, the other end of it is once they do get hired or once a, a district is, finally hires somebody of color, they, like you were saying, they work the rest of their careers with the stigma. Like, oh, you must have gotten this job because of who you are. You know, obviously they needed to hire a person of color. So they hired you and you're the only one in the building. People of color have to deal with that all their entire career, proving themselves on a daily basis. It's such an excellent point. Um, it, 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 just go, it just goes to how difficult it is on a daily basis. If you are a person of color where I walk into the building, I don't think about it. I, don't, I have nothing to prove to people on, on a daily But but people of color do.
0: Mr. Kramer, I think there's an elephant in the room and I think that elephant in the room is affirmative action because we're talking about hiring practices. We're talking about, I guess, closing the gap and um, rectifying some of these things that have transpired. So can you speak to first of all, I think people have a great misconception of what affirmative action really is and how it functions in our society. So can you speak to that a little bit?
2: the first affirmative action programs really came, you know, started to come in the late 1960s out of the great society with Lyndon Johnson. There, there are some, but they really kind of took on in the early seventies and you know, they were, they were an attempt to force places to diversify. They were an attempt to force places to start, you know, to change their hiring practices, just like white privilege, the white, the white power structure took this as an offense, like, Oh, You know, you're gonna force us to hire unqualified people. You're gonna force us to hire these people who are not qualified to get these jobs. And you're gonna give people of color, you know, a a foot in the door that white people don't have. So, you know, white people looked at it as reverse discrimination, right? And so you'll always hear this, you'll always hear reverse discrimination, where affirmative action was, was not intended to do that. Affirmative action was meant to expand the scope of where people look to hire and expand or, or, or diversify their workforce to better represent where they live, right? So in some places, it actually it actually worked. At, at college admissions, it worked. Um, but what people never really understood and, and always thought is that, oh, he's black, he got the job above me. Like, that's not true, that's not what happened. What happened was they forced college admissions, and they forced workplaces to use race as one of the factors in the hiring practices, but it couldn't be the defining practice. It actually went all the way to the Supreme Court. There's a landmark case called Baggy v. California, where he was applying for grad school. Uh, I I think he was applying to med school. And he claimed that that a person of color got the job over him. He claimed uh, reverse discrimination. So the Supreme Court said, well, that's not true because there are no set quotas. You know, they, they're not forcing colleges to take 10% African-American, 15% Hispanic. It's nothing like that. What it's doing is it's forcing them to pull, from, to pull race as a criteria so they diversify and better represent where they're serving. So it, it's, you know, it was meant to diversify. But it's, you know, it's one of those things that people are as touchy about as white privileges, you know, because they really don't understand what it was.
0: And even in the corporate environment, I feel like it comes up a lot and it's thought of, oh, this person is just fulfilling a quota. Mm-hmm. Think of it as a hard quota, like, oh, we need 15 black people in management. And that's not how it works. Like companies are required to make something that's called good faith effort. Whereas let's say, for example, a lot of recruiting agencies, they'll, they'll do job fairs at, at colleges. So instead of just going to historically white colleges, we'll set up a table at in HBCU. That's all it is. It's just expanding the pool. By no means, because you actually, you, you referenced that case, and that was the precedent setting case. Um, by no means is an employer allowed to occupy a position with someone that's unqualified just because they check off a race box. That's just not, it's just not the truth. It's just not how it works. And, and furthermore, it's overstated in the experience, I think, of many um, white Americans. Chances are you will never, ever in your life experience affirmative action it will never affect your career path it's such an unlikely event to affect you that it's i mean am i am i wrong in saying
2: that no you're not wrong i I think you're absolutely right i think the chances of somebody of color getting a job over somebody who's white because of their skin color are infinitesimal i mean you're never going to experience it but like everything else like everything else like things like this people you know tend to use hyperbole with it like oh affirmative action you're hiring all these black people I'm like that's just not thats not the case. the numbers don't bear that out if that were true there would be a lot more black people teaching on the island but there aren't so it's not an issue
0: and even even that being said this was in 1974 we have a long history of closing the door on black people I, we were joking around the other day And I brought up the the Monopoly example. So imagine Mr. Kramer and I are playing Monopoly. And for whatever reason, Mr. Kramer is allowed to go around the board 400 times while I have to just sit and I'm not allowed to take turns. And then suddenly the chains are lifted. And you know what, Malik, you have equal opportunity to play the game and win the game. You You can now utilize turns. Well, Mr. Kramer already went 400 times. He has all the hotels built on the squares. Like he has every card. He has all the resources. He has all the, he controls the entire board. How is this now an equal playing field for me? How can you now, to tie it back to the the theme of the show, how can you now say, oh, I don't see color and race is not a factor. That if you say that in that situation, that's gaslighting. It's like, how how do you not see this blatant disparity? And I think if, if anyone's playing monopoly, anyone in their right mind would say that that's not fair so again like when you bring it to socioeconomic issues, why like why, where is the disconnect
2: yeah i think I think your monopoly example would be with affirmative action is that if if affirmative action was helping or ever really kind of i mean it did in, in certain places it did it did help to diversify but monopoly they would give you New York avenue that's all you get you know, but I'd still have everything else. Because wealth in this country is generational, and nobody has problems with generational wealth. Nobody has problems with people handing down wealth generation, generation, generation. But they don't want to take a look at, at, at where did that wealth come from? You know, certainly the wealth in the South came off the backs of, of slaves, and there was never anything done for the freed slaves. There was never any real rep- there was never reparations done ever. So you talk about you know getting to go around the board four hundred times. These this is this is wealth that was amassed and continues to be amassed in the United States that is never going to be caught up by minorities. There's certain industries, you know, people are, you know, individuals are getting paid a lot of money, but they're not building the wealth that, that exists. You know, you talk about the blue bloods in, in the United States, no one has that kind of wealth.
3: So yeah, to the point of affirmative action and this notion that, um, uh, there's white people out here who, who feel like, um, Handing out jobs or giving opportunities to Black people just based on their colors, you know, wrong or whatever. The superintendent, actually, current superintendent of schools in New Rochelle, where I'm from, um, has a pending reverse racism uh, lawsuit against the um, against uh, DOE because she claims that a woman of color, Black woman, was. Um, Hired over her because she's black and the superintendent Rochelle is white. And so her, her, her lawsuit is pending right now. But I just think that it's very interesting how, um, like that's the, that's almost the immediate response when why can't it just be that the person who you were hired over just maybe is more qualified and also happens to be black. It's almost like they, this person cannot possibly be more qualified than me. So the only reason why they got that job is because they're black where in fact, no, they're actually very smart, educated, uh, qualified people of color in these fields. And you being hired, you not being hired, excuse me, over that person is probably just because they're more qualified. But again, when it comes to these issues of race, it's like, okay, well, yeah, I'm, I'm white, and they're black. And so that's the only reason why that, that's, that's the only reason that they could have been hired over me, not because they're more qualified.
1: And To go off of that, I think that that's also where the whole privilege thing gets a bad name because like you said, people will say, oh, you only got that position because you're a person of color. No, you got that position because you deserve that position and you are qualified. So I think that that also ties in with how the term white privilege gets a bad rap and why people get so offensive because- You know what? There's a lot of more qualified people out there, and they just don't want to admit to it because they're salty they didn't get the job. To my white listeners, I'm looking at you guys. So I want you all to take a minute and think about standing in a crowded room. And now imagine you are the only white person in this room. And someone comes up to you and says, Oh, we're all equal. We don't see your color. Now think about how you would feel you're probably feeling a lot of Im- mixed emotions right now. And that's how people of color feel mostly every day. So before you go on to make a comment next time, think about that.
3: Yeah, I'll just interject here. When you say to somebody of color that you do not see color, okay? And that you, you don't see their color, you, everyone is the same, everyone's equal, you, don't, you see people, not color. I want you to know as a black woman, who's been told that so many times before, okay, what I am hearing, what that means, what my ears and brain process when you say that to me, is that you, are, you either don't know about these experiences and, and the things that me and, and um, black people go through on a daily basis that solely deal with just what I look like on, on the face of it. You either don't know about them or you are choosing to not acknowledge, and you're choosing to tell me that you see me as white, you see me as you, I'm equal as you, right? I don't see color, I see everyone, so you're seeing everybody as yourself, right? Because we're all equal. However, my experience is not like yours, okay? I work in a law office, I'm for a real estate attorney, and we have clients, um, my office is in St. Albans, so the majority, like I would say 90% of our clientele are are black people and people of color just based on where my office is located. And while you, um, when I say you, I I speak to the people who say I don't see color. You might, while you might quote unquote not see color, uh, what I will tell you is that mortgage banks, when I send my clients um, credentials and other stuff to get a mortgage to buy a house, mortgage banks see color. And they see not only see color, but they take a couple extra weeks to approve and to send out pre-approvals. So they don't send out pre-approvals to people of color because they assume that their bank accounts are fraudulent or they don't have the money to, to put up. Um, uh, brokers and real estate agents see color and steer my clientele to neighborhoods that are, you know, under, disenfranchised, underfunded, et cetera, et cetera. Um, attorneys, real estate attorneys see color and do not retain um, or, or don't allow themselves to be retained by people of color because they feel like they can't pay their retainer fee or that the deal's going to fall through so while you might not see color there's a lot of entities and there's a lot of people in this world who see color and because of that black people have to walk and navigate this world dealing with that and so while again while people who say that might not mean it to be in a, to be you know racist or or kind of or sort of ignorant in a way I just, I want our listeners to understand what that, what that phrase and what that terminology really means. You can not see, um, you can, how do I say this? You can uh, believe and desire and want everybody to be equal and for everyone to have equal opportunity, which is great, but you have to first acknowledge that that's not the case. And so by saying you don't see color, you're not acknowledging that that's not the case. We're not all equal. So you need to see my color to know that we're not all equal, and then you can tell me that you want everyone to be equal and work towards that.
0: You do see color there's no way someone's gonna look at you and and not see that you're a black person. You are black to that person that has good intentions is good hearted doesn't feels that they're not biased. This isn't an attack on you. this isn't um supposed to make you feel bad it's It's really just bringing awareness to a blind spot that just isn't a part of your everyday experience, so I think. You know, just, just to kind of close this off, if we all take the time to acknowledge that we all have blind spots in different areas, and it goes beyond racial experiences, just blind spots and experiences, even if you go to work. Um, if you're an accountant and Sydney's a lawyer, I'm going to have respective blind spots to her, ex, her state of expertise and vice versa. So just looking at it like that, we can have a lot more productive dialogue that doesn't end up in, a, you know, in, in an argument or an unpleasant experience. So um, you know, with all these things being said, thank you, Mr. Kramer, for not only coming back. You know, I I figured you'd get tired of us after one episode, you came back. <laughs> but um, you know, it was great to have your historical insight on these things just to, you know, provide validity that these things are real. Um, you know, people kind of have an issue with citing anecdotal experiences as tangible data
2: right yeah that's that's a that's a really important point you know when when people share their experiences and you say, oh, you know this this happened to me once, or this happened to when, when an entire group of people is sharing the same experience, it's no longer anecdotal it's just the experience so it's it's important to listen it's important to dialogue and it's important to understand you know i i will I will tell you when Sid was talking about d c color I, I really kind of Became aware in college is really kind of where I became aware uh, when I became aware and then and then certainly working in Houston for so long. But in college, I used to and, and my uh, my college friends, my fraternity brothers, we used to have to go out in the street and hail a cab for Reggie when Reggie wanted to go home. They wouldn't stop for him. They wouldn't come pick him up. And that was like one of the first time I was so young. They're like, why do I have to go get you a cab? Just go get a cab. And he, They all just looked at me just like, just go get him a cab. So I would hail the cab and then Reggie would get in because talk about not seeing color. So, you know, that is a, that is a daily hassle that people of color go through. Not, not the big hassles of trying to buy houses and trying to get into college and trying to get out. That is, that is one of the major daily hassles that people deal with because of who they are and because of the skin that they have. So it's not anecdotal when an entire group is experiencing it, you know, and that's really important.
3: Um, I just, I just wanted to say, piggybacking off what Kramer, um, Mr. Kramer just said, uh, I just kind of want, kind of like a mini homework, not really, but like just like a thing, for all of our listeners to kind of just take a step back, black, white, purple, orange, blue, doesn't matter. Take us, take a second after you listen to, to today's episode and think about your own privileges that you that you have that you inherently have, whether that be that you're able-bodied. Whether that be that you're educated, whether that be that you grew up with two both parents in the household, et cetera, et cetera. Think about just take a second and think about your own privileges and the experiences that and and the, and the experiences, the ways you walk your life every day, that maybe you take take for granted, or maybe someone else doesn't have this the opportunity to do this way that you do. And I think that that'll be a really good way to kind of to kind of let people. Um, open their minds to, to this notion of white privilege and acknowledging that privilege is everywhere and that we all have it, but you have to acknowledge it in order to to be effective in making change and being inclusive and educating other people. So just take, after you listen to this, take a second and acknowledge and like think about what your privileges are and ha- feel free to hit us up in our DM and let us know what they are if you want to. That's cool
1: too.
0: <laughs> I'm going to do my homework.
1: I love that homework. And also I think just to wrap this up, I think that, When you say you now see color, really try to step back, recognize it, celebrate it. Realize the struggles other people have been through. And now that you realize it, take their hand and help them all the way. Because you know what? Everyone's not equal until we're all equal together.
0: Couldn't have said it any better, Sandra.
1: That's right. Absolutely. And that's our show. Bye.
2: Bye, everybody.
0: Thank you for listening to the Discriminology Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and to follow us on Instagram at Discriminology underscore podcast or on Facebook at Discriminology3. Until next time,
2: peace.